Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, as well as the Compassionate Friends. Well, we've got a great guest today, Heidi, and I know this is a topic that is very near and dear to your heart and very personal. We're going to be talking about infertility, miscarriage, and neonatal loss. And would you like to introduce our guest, Heidi? Sure, I'd love to. Our guest today is Dr. Amy Winsel, and she is a clinical psychologist who divides her time between clinical practice, scholarly writing and research, and training and consultation. She's the author or editor of 16 books, including Coping with Infertility, Miscarriage, and Neonatal Death, Finding Perspective, and Creating Meaning. She experienced the loss of her first child, a son, at 21 weeks gestation. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, It's great to have you on the show, and what an important topic. I mean, it's one that Heidi and I have talked about a bit, not only personally as a family, but also professionally and dealing with it. Heidi, why don't you kind of take off on this for our audience about some of the issues that you see and that you would like Amy to discuss with us today? Sure. You know, when when my mom contacted me and told me that we were going to have Amy on, I was excited because I had years of infertility treatment myself and I had two miscarriages. And, you know, I found that it was such an unacknowledged and minimized loss. I mean, I had been running around in the grief and loss world for 20 years. You know, after my brother died, I became very involved in compassionate friends and in a lot of bereavement organizations. And so it was my life's work. But I didn't realize the level of unacknowledgement that a miscarriage has attached. And in fact, it was interesting because I actually didn't know that so many of my friends had had miscarriages until I had my own. And so I'm excited to have Amy on today, and and she can say a lot more about this. And she also has a lot of great strategies for people that are dealing with pregnancy loss and infertility. So thank you, Amy, and welcome. Oh, thank you. Now, Amy, there's another issue here that Heidi and I were talking about this morning, and that's the fact that your child was five months gestation. That's almost viability, right? Right, right. So uh, there's probably a little difference with that and with an earlier miscarriage, would you say, or not? interesting issue. I think really the core issue associated with dealing with this and with coping is the meaning that the pregnancy holds. So in general, I do think that most people have the view that the further along the pregnancy goes, the tougher it is if a person experiences a loss. But again, we're also talking about infertility. So say you have a, a woman who has been trying several years to get pregnant, and she might have an early pregnancy loss or an early miscarriage. But nevertheless, because of all of that effort and, and hope and waiting that she had to get pregnant, that's going to be just as devastating for her. Mm-hmm. With your baby, I hope you don't mind if I get personal with you. You saw the baby? I actually ended up having surgery where I was out. I was under anesthesia, so I did not see the baby. I was in a, a situation where my water broke, and it kind of was it was breaking over the course of several days, almost a week. So by the time it was it was really detected, there was, there was no more amniotic fluid. And I was trying, honestly, desperately just for them to keep me in the hospital and, let, and just see if, if I could hold out a few more weeks before I would have him. And the perinatologist basically told me that because the amniotic fluid was already gone by 21 weeks that there is just no hope for survival because the lungs would be so undeveloped. Now, in retrospect, do you feel like you wish you'd seen the baby or not? Or did you consider it a baby? I I don't know. I haven't had a miscarriage. Is a miscarriage considered a baby for folks that have? Well, and you know, what's interesting is actually after 20 weeks, it's no longer considered a miscarriage. It's actually considered 
technically a stillborn or a neonatal oh. loss. So that was why and with the title of my book, I actually felt very strongly that I wanted to differentiate between miscarriage and neonatal loss for, for those people who um, at times, they have a, a late, you know, second trimester, third trimester loss, but people are calling it miscarriages and they, they feel really invalidated. So um, def- definitions do vary a little bit, but um, I, I technically, my doctor told me that I was sort of past the, the, the miscarriage um, stage. So in terms of seeing the baby, most of the materials that I read did advise women to actually see the baby, to hold the baby, to go through labor. Honestly, personally, for me, I, I did not think that that was the, the most effective, uh, I guess, approach, kind of given my own coping strategies. And in retrospect, now looking back at that, I'm still about 80 to 90% confident that that was the right decision for me. What I tell my clients and other people that I, I, I know who are going through this, that it's absolutely a personal choice and, you know, that they do not need to feel badly one way or another, depending on the choice that they make. And Amy, I would think that you would want to prepare your clients or your friends that are going to see the baby for what the baby may look like, because if the baby is only, you know, four or five months along, they may have this vision that it's going to look like a, a baby that's delivered at nine months. Yeah, and as I understand it, my friend's daughter had triplets, and she was telling me that they dressed them in little hats and all that, but she said their skin was black. I mean, it wasn't this pink, viable little kid. Right, right. You know, the skin yeah, and, is translucent. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that is I, I, I supervise somebody right now who works in a hospital here in the New York area, and her job is to visit women right after they've miscarried or had a baby die and ask people, do you want me to help you to create a memory box? And if they decide they want it, and like you said, Amy, there's no right or wrong answer, she'll even take their little feet and make little footprints you know, and give them a card with the little footprints on it and create a little box for them to bring home. Oh, that, that, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. What a gift that would be to, to parents who are interested in having something like that. But I think it's important what you just said, parents who are interested in doing that. Now, what about the division? What if I um, have had a baby and, you know, that died or a miscarriage and my husband and I or the father of my child and I had different opinions about what should have happened. Do you ever see that? I don't typically see that. I think the most common experience that I have is that the husbands really do defer to the wives in terms of how to handle it. I think many partners just recognize that the woman is going through something in terms of what's happening with her body that is just completely outside of the experience that a male partner would be able to understand. And so most husbands really do take a very supportive role and give their wives or partners just the space to make the decision themselves. But it certainly is conceivable. I can see that happening. Hopefully the medical profession has come a long ways and helps people with that decision too, because years ago, many years ago, wow, how many, probably 70, 80 years ago or something, 75, my mother-in-law had a baby and uh, she never saw it. And the baby died. The cord was wrapped around his neck, but the baby also had uh, some physical disabilities. And her husband, my uh, father-in-law, told her that the baby was perfect and that that was not true. And he was very proud of himself all his life that she didn't know that the baby wasn't perfect. And I thought, oh, my goodness, it would have been better for her to have known. But I think we've come a long way since then, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that whole issue is, is what's better for the person. I don't even know if that's an answerable question. So that's why, again, giving just giving the person space just to make the, the best decision that they can and, and you know, really coming to, to peace or come, coming to terms with that decision because there's no right, right or wrong way to grieve a loss like this. 
You know, the minute I got pregnant, the second I knew, because I had had years of infertility, I I started bonding and thinking about this this baby growing inside of me and, ha- and kind of connecting to a certain extent. And I also started figuring out exactly when the baby was going to be born, what the birth date was, what month, and I started to, to visualize my future with this baby that was only, you know, in the first trimester. So when I miscarried, I not only was grieving the loss of my pregnancy, I was grieving my entire future because I had already gone in those places in my head about raising this child. So I think for for women, regardless of how far along they are, they're also grieving the future that they're now no longer going to have. And that's absolutely correct, and that's why I say that that meaning that that the pregnancy holds to the person is really key in terms of how the person experiences or interprets the loss. Now, Heidi was saying you had some great strategies for people who are having trouble dealing with maybe getting pregnant again or having miscarriages. I don't know what the major problems that you are seeing, but can you cover some of those and give us some strategies for our listeners? Sure, sure. What I did was I really applied some very standard cognitive and behavioral principles just to get through. So, for example, one of the the early chapters of my book is just getting by in the first week. And that's literally using behavioral strategies to engage in proper self-care, but balancing that with giving oneself permission to isolate a little bit or or not contact others a little bit, um, you know, maybe lay low, but, but at the same time kind of recognizing that generally becoming more active and becoming more engaged in one's life ultimately is going to be to promote healing and be therapeutic because if a person kind of goes to the extreme and isolates for months and months or, you know, discontinues engaging the activities that she typically would engage in and get positive reinforcement from, that's really going to set her up for, for a longer-term depressive reaction rather than the expected grief reaction that one would have associated with a loss like this. So watch yourself. Lay, you can lay low for a while, relax, but then realize you need to get back out there. You need to get back out there, but you can do it gradually, mm-hmm. and you can do it in a way that's, that's safe for you, for example. And, and Heidi, I don't know if you experience this, but I, I certainly experience this. My, my, my clients have as well is that when you experience a loss, it just seems like, all of your friends are pregnant and you're hearing about celebrities getting pregnant and, you know, you're at the grocery store and you (laughs) see little kids being, you know, pushed around the car and it's just excruciating. And um, And, and my sisters were pregnant. Both of them. But like you said, everybody seems like they're pregnant because that's what you're focusing on. Exactly, exactly. And when you think about it, it is very common for women in their 20s and their 30s and early 40s to be pregnant or to have small children. So realistically, one is running into reminders of the pregnancy a great deal. And one of the things that I did for myself, and I've incorporated this into a different chapter in my book, is I incorporated the principles of exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is typically used for people with anxiety disorders. For example, if a a person has a spider phobia, you would use exposure to kind of gradually have the person get have closer and closer contact with a spider and I took those principles and used the same thing for myself and used the same thing with my clients where we help them to gradually re-engage in situations where they might experience reminders of the loss and it might be something simple like you know going like I said going to a grocery store or whatnot but you work up to some more difficult things like maybe being on a playground or um, you know going to a children's birthday party a kid's birthday party if you're invited to one um, you know driving by a school something 
something like that. And so by gradually kind of re-engaging with these these um, situations that would trigger anxiety and dread about the loss, you know, one could just start to uh, start to live their life again according to an approach orientation rather than an avoidance orientation. And that's the name of the game. And they're and they're in control and in charge of of mm-hmm. how they expose themselves, which I love rather than being blindsided by a reminder all of a sudden. I think what you guys are doing is acknowledging that that's a normal reaction, too. And there's no shame in feeling that way. Being envious and jealous of people that that are pregnant is a very normal reaction. So what's another tip for this? I love what you're talking about. I want to get through a few of these. Sure, sure. We all have these negative thoughts and self-statements all the time when we're faced with stress and adversity and whatnot, but I find that the the nature of these self-statements can be particularly um, just alarming when a person has experienced a loss, and so we want to make sure that a person is thinking about the loss in as balanced and accurate a way as possible. It's so easy to catastrophize, like, you know, I'm going to have another loss the next time I get pregnant, or I'm not going to get pregnant again, or... You know, my life, I'm going to be the only person in my neighborhood who has no children. And, you know, yes, those are possibilities, but those are all future-oriented types of projections, and it doesn't help to be exclusively focused on on thoughts like that at the expense of, you know, maybe other things in a person's life that are going fairly well or support that a person's receiving, some other things that could soften that up a bit. That's kind of like uh, what Albert Ellis used to call stinking thinking. (laughs) And one of the things, (laughs) and one really kind of little strange thing you can do for yourself that sounds weird is put an elastic on your wrist and if you keep having a repetitive thought that you don't like regarding your loss, just flip it to remind yourself, hey, I need to change that thought. Right, right, right. And I think the one difference between my approach, um, I actually work very closely with Dr. Aaron Beck, who I think takes a bit of a softer stance um, than Dr. Ellis did. Like, I don't think he would use the term think and think. And, and, and that's the same type of, of, of approach that I use with women, especially when they've experienced a loss. I mean, we, we don't want to invalidate them and give them the message that we think that they should just get over it or it's not that bad. And in fact, a whole other chapter in my book kind of talks about insensitive or seemingly insensitive reactions from other people. People, they're just trying to be supportive and help one through it. And so, you know, we do want women to know that it's okay with to sit to sit with the 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 negative emotion, the negative affect, the devastation, and and it's okay to be worried about the future. It makes a lot of sense. We just want to balance that with some of the other things, you know, that they have in, in their favor that they have going on in their lives, so they're not so focused exclusively on on the negative. Well, Amy, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I mean, we could just go on and on, but I think we've given people a little taste of your book, and they need to get this book, Coping with Infertility, Miscarriage, and Neonatal Death, Finding Perspective, and Creating Meaning. And, you know, as I listen to you talk about this, Amy, I don't think this book's just for somebody who's had a pregnancy loss or neonatal death. I think family members, particularly moms and sisters and people who have had uh, family members who maybe even have had a miscarriage or you know, and they're trying to figure out how to help them could really benefit. And dads and husbands could really benefit from getting this book. Don't you, Heidi? Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yes, it would be a fabulous book just to educate the public and educate family members about what women are going through. Absolutely. Tell people how they can get your book and about your website. 
Sure, sure. So my website is just dramywinzel.com. Um, and my book is, is located on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, all of the, the typical places where people buy books. It is also published, it's published by the American Psychological Association's Life Tools Division. So if one goes to apabooks.org and, in fact, then puts in my name, um, this, this will be one among many that I've published with APA that would come up. So it can also be purchased directly from the publisher. If one goes to my website, dramywenzel.com, I do have um, a drop-down menu for books, and all of the books I've written are listed, and there are links to both Amazon and Barnes & Noble, I believe, where people can also click in that way. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being on the show today, and thanks for the work you're doing on cognitive therapy. I've always really liked it because it gives some practical help to people and things that they can actually do. So thanks again for all the work you're doing. Well, thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Amy. This is near and dear to my heart. I appreciate everything that you're doing for women that have had miscarriages and neonatal deaths. So thanks for listening to our show today. And, and Heidi, I, I love some of the stuff that Amy said about you, you can lay low for a while and take care of yourself, but you also need to um, maybe do some exposure. Didn't you think that was interesting? I really like that, Mom, but I really want to say something to all the women out there that absolutely want to have a child. And it's not for everybody. But for those women that just want to have a child and maybe can't, the end of my story was that I never did get pregnant after my miscarriage and infertility, but I did go to China and adopt a beautiful daughter. She's 10 years old, and I think she's the daughter I was always meant to have. So there's many ways our families come to us. Absolutely. Brings tears to my eyes. Well, thanks for listening today. And Heidi and I want to say to you that if you have lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless.